Welcome to Get Up in the Cool Old Time Music with Cameron DeWitt and Friends. This week's friend is Kelsey Nelson. We recorded this a couple weeks ago in her home outside of Port Townsend, Washington, where she hosted Tall Poppy String Band during our tour. Thanks to everyone who came out. By the way, we had a lovely first tour and we can't wait to come play a concert, festival, or square dance near you. Oh, and if you run an event like that, let us know if you'd like us to come. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Kelsey Nelson. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. So lovely to be here in your home. Thank you for hosting Tall Poppy String Band on our first tour and for feeding us such delicious food. Anytime. And for (laughs) agreeing to do this, (laughs) to be put on the spot while you're doing all this hosting. It's it's an impressive amount of hospitality and generosity, so thank you. My pleasure. I first, I don't know if I met you at that point, but uh, maybe I just like saw you do your thing for the first time, or one of the many things that you do uh, <laughs> at, at the Portland Old Time Gathering. I think in like maybe 2018. I mm-hmm. think is the first time I, I went, uh, and you were calling square dance, and I was I, I I thought that your your presence was very arresting. Uh, <laughs> On, on the stage and your ability to manage this huge group. It's a big room in the, uh, whatever center it's called. I forget the name of the building in Portland. Is that the Scottish Rite Center? The Scottish. The Scottish. At that point, maybe. Okay. Not sure. Yeah. 2018. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have this big room full of people of every age and every level of intoxication and, <laughs> and you know, they're in full festival mode. They don't want to listen to instructions. And you kind of like, you were able to like maintain like fun, but also just like, all right, people, we're here to do something, <laughs> you know, very specific. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take it seriously enough in order to have fun, which I think is such a, a strange, a, a strange, uh, needle to thread. And I feel like, 
as as a square dance caller, you must have a lot of experience um, being bossy in a fun way. (laughs) (laughs) Can you speak on that? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that there's something about like the nature of calling square dances as opposed to any other kind of dance music where there is a real spirit of fun and community where, um, you know, with a square dance, you don't know who's going to be coming in off the street. You're likely to have a few dancers there at, at least at whatever dance you're calling that know what they're doing and you don't need to, you know, uh, baby along too much, but then, you're going to have some people coming on in off the street who've never danced before. You're mm-hmm. going to have a bunch of people who are at a, you know, it's bachelorette party and they're super trashed or yeah. somebody's birthday or something. And it's, that is sort of the, and you might have some kids, you know, so that's, I think sort of the beauty of the square dance is it has been traditionally this very community minded event where all walks of life, all ages all levels of drunkenness are participating in this thing together and making this thing together. And it does require a certain amount of wrangling in order to make it work because it is, it's a, you know, you've got (laughs) just a lot of different (laughs) abilities out on the dance floor and, um, you know, you, you've captured some people's attention more than others and to be able to sort of call them in together to be able to, you know, make this thing happen all at once is, um, you know, definite, definitely a skill. I would say that most callers that I know have some kind of, um, of that presence of just being right. able to draw attention and get people to listen and, you know, in not a way that feels reprimanding, but feels a way of calling them in rather than yeah. calling them out, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> calling culture. <laughs> yeah. That's important. Yeah. Really important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I always, I mean, it's, it's sort of teacher energy. It is. School teacher Mm -hmm. energy and, uh, which can be just a really powerful thing or an incredibly toxic thing, (laughs) uh, but definitely the former with you. And, uh, I, I imagine it takes a certain type of like strength and security of, of an integrity of ego. I'm not meaning to denote any sort of like self aggrandizement at all, Mm -hmm. but more just like, you gotta be like really sure of yourself to lead and Mm. to, and to convince people that you are uh, trustworthy to follow. And that's the case with, you know, Mm. in a classroom or uh, on a stage teaching people to like dance, especially maybe in our culture where I think people are afraid of, dancing yeah. <laughs> and their bodies and touching each other. You know, I feel like in my calling career, I have found that simply having precision of language, being able to clearly describe yeah. what somebody is supposed to be doing with their body, with my voice, yeah. without using my body to describe what they're supposed to be doing and being able to do that consistently and clearly, that is enough to draw people in because when someone shows up at a square dance, they want to feel successful. They want to do the dance. They want to feel like they're doing it right. Right. And so simply by being able to use my language precisely and be able to clearly describe what they're supposed to be doing to allow them to be successful. 
I feel like that's the magic that mm. it, it has less to do with like me knowing that what I'm doing is correct or feeling like, yeah. um, sort of the conductor power. It's sure. more, I'm paying more attention to those little details of like, oh, in that dance, I said that one phrase this way when I was teaching it and it chaos erupted in the room. Yeah. And so the next time I'm going to try to say it in a little bit of a different way so that people get it the first time and mm. we don't have to spend this time muddling around with that again. And we can just get into the dancing and people can feel that joy of having successfully navigated mm. this thing with their body that I'm describing with their voice, which is just like such a, you know, it, it's, it's like, this out of body experience, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a really hard thing to do. And I think there are a lot of callers who, um, that's the hardest part. You know, the, the learning, the dances is just like remembering a nursery rhyme, but yeah. the teaching is the, is the most difficult part. I remember this assignment that I had in school. I think I must've been in fourth grade and we were supposed to write a paper that was an expository paper on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> I and know this one. You know this one. Yeah. So <laughs> when we turn it in, uh, the teacher reads them in front and follows the directions uh, with them mm -hmm. an obtuse level of literalness. <laughs> you know? Right. And uh, to make a point. And um, I think I got like kind of close in fourth grade. I mean, I think there may have been like some spreading of peanut butter on the package of the bread on the mm -hmm. outside, you know, but like I think eventually we got there. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. You're like just being really intentional with your words because you can't go and touch a hundred people. Right. You have to, it has to come with, with like language and mm -hmm. you're, relying on uh, the ability to say what you mean and have people hear it and understand it, which is like one of the hardest things to do as like a person, <laughs> I think. <laughs> it's just cool. I'm just very impressed, impressed by it. And then like reading the room and being like, oh yeah, they don't understand what I mean when I say X. Speaking of which, I wanted to ask in, in the call that you just did, what, mm -hmm. what is it called? That was Dip and Die. That's a dance I got from Bill O.C. in West Virginia. Very good. Bill O.C. Mm -hmm. uh, you said, like, at one point, ra swing round that thing. I was thinking about specific language. I was like, what is the thing that you're... Isn't there Head on out to the right of the ring, maybe? Oh, I, I thought at some point you said, round that thing. Mm -mm. No, I'm just... But yeah, that's the beautiful part about the patter is once you've taught the dance right. and they know it, the patter is just a reminder for them, you right. know, and I'll usually throw in a little patter at the end of the teaching so they know what the call is going to be during right. the dance. Um, it's just a, a place keeper, you know, to for, for the dancers to remember what's coming next. Yeah. Um, but once they've, you know, we've run through the, the dance, then they have that kind of muscle memory in their bodies and the, it allows them to just, you know, hear the pattern, listen to the music and kind of feel it in their bodies. Yeah. I was wanting to ask about, so it sounds like it's, the pattern is like impressionistic as opposed to like right. literal. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how much carryover is there in, 
patter vernacular, <laughs> like, mm. uh, between different callers. Like, how many different ways are there to describe one thing? Is it literally just to mm. trigger a thing that you taught, like a little mnemonic device? Or uh, are there standard ways of describing specific actions? Oh, I think a little bit of both. Um, many of the dances that I call, I use the exact pattern from the people that I learned it from, much in the same way that someone who's learning a fiddle tune would play it the same way yeah. that they learned from the person they learned it from. Um, that's not always, you know, some people kind of use their, use their own little phrases of patter. Some people don't use much patter. Uh, my style of calling is very, uh, sing, you know, very song-like. And so yeah. I like the patter. I like the rhyming. Yeah. Um, but there are people who call in a more speaking sort of way where there isn't as much rhyming. Um, I feel like that's sort of the big difference between uh, contra calling and square dance calling. There's much more patter and sort of there's, there's, is that whole vernacular. And um, in the contra world, it is more just very literal. The caller is just right. saying what the move is, you know, in, in a pleasant way for sure, sure in time to the music. But right. um yeah, I mean, there are many old square dancing books from, you know, the 1950s when there's sort of just a boom of square dancing across the country where there'd just be whole pages of patter, you know, suggestions for callers to use. And I'm not sure how much of it has survived and how much, you know, uh, I'm sure that there was sort of a wider lexicon at one point. <laughs> in the country and um i'm sure it varies region to region as well yeah. but um yeah, yeah i'm uh i have so many things that i want to ask you about but we're gonna like cover like a a lot of ground this is going to be <laughs> a unfortunately a a breadth episode as opposed to a depth episode because we're doing a bunch of different things mm -hmm. um so maybe we can come back at some point and i can ask you more square dance stuff but sure we want to do at least one more dance and maybe yeah. this one you can actually uh teach us so sure. if the listeners at home have <laughs> seven other people with them you can get <laughs> or find them quick <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can get a square going uh, yeah so this dance is uptown downtown um I'm not sure where this dance comes from originally. I learned it from Jane Palmieri when I was coming up, uh, learning to call dances in Portland, Oregon. I was very lucky to have just a powerhouse crew of women teaching mm. me to call when I lived in Portland. And Is that important to you to specifically learn from women? Um, well, they had all learned to call from Bill Martin, and yeah. I think that it was important to them to pass that on. Yeah. You know, he just had a real spirit of sharing this music and sharing the dancing and getting people up to call. And so I think it was important to all of them that to pass that on and to, yeah. you know, see a younger generation of callers starting out. Um, but for me also, yes, definitely when I was going other places in the country to call, uh, it, there wasn't that powerhouse of women. And so I feel very lucky that, yeah. um, to come up and, you know, uh, Caroline Oakley and Amy Hoffer and Steph Knoll and Jane Palmieri. And just, you know, I, it, it was a, um, just a great environment to learn to call. Mm. And, and there was a weekly dance happening. So I had really ample, um, ex, you know, time to 
to try things out and they would put me up in front of the microphone whether I was ready to call that night or not. Yeah. There was a lot of tough love, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. But um, I knew that I didn't want to be in a city forever and that wherever I moved to, there would likely be musicians, but not necessarily a caller. Yeah. And so I wanted to learn while I was in a place where there was an active dance community and yeah. sort of, uh, you know, just reap the benefits of that. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, seeds for your own community making. Definitely, yeah, yeah cool. and it and it worked out that way. I, you know, the first place I landed, a bunch of musicians on the island, uh, no collar. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So this dance is called Uptown Downtown. It's a four couple square. So, get yourself into four couples. <laughs> Decide which one is couple number one. Couple number one, you're gonna walk straight forward over to couple number three. You're gonna join their hands and bring them back down to couple number one's position. You're then going to drive them back home. So couple number one, you're going to keep holding couple number three's hand, push them back up to where they live in their home spot. And then couple number three, you're going to separate so that couple number one can split that couple down the middle. If you're on the left, go left. If you're on the right, go right. Go around the whole square. And when you meet back home, you're going to, everyone is going to give their partner a right elbow turn around. And then you'll turn to your corner, give them a left elbow turn around, swing your partner, and we'll promenade. And then we'll just it. we'll okay. just do a little uh, circle left and circle right for a break figure. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's and it. that's the and, whole dance. And then and it, it's and called, then it goes to each. And it'll go to yeah. each. Uh, it'll go to each couple, and uh, it's called uptown downtown. So the call will be couple one. You go uptown, bring that other couple down. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Great. Cool. I'm going to, like, study this, and then maybe I'll try to call this. <laughs> Steal some Kelsey Nelson powder. <laughs> okay. Is this also a dealer, dealer's choice for the tune? Sure, okay, yeah. Okay, let me figure out what I... So, oh, yeah, here's a question. Um, some people feel really strongly about square tunes being used in square dances, mm. but also I've heard that, you know, the dichotomy of, like, the uh, you know squareness is the calling doesn't have to match with the form of the tune, and right? The contra does. Mm-hmm. Can you speak on that? And then maybe that'll help me figure out what tune I want to do. Yeah. So most of the tunes that most of the squares that I call, you know, are not. It's not necessarily a thirty-two bar dance, so it doesn't need to be a completely square tune in that regard. Mm-hmm. It kind of depends on the dance. Some dances, this tune is just a pretty, um, or this square is a pretty, just the pattern is pretty driving. So it's really nice in this particular one to have a really nice straight ahead tune. Great. There are some other dances that I call that are sort of more serpentine dances, or, you know, maybe there's a, a part where one couple is like running around across the room doing stuff with other squares or something. And those dances are always really fun to leave it up to the band to say, you can play whatever you want because you know just the nature of the tune is there's going to be this time of chaos in the middle of the dance and we'll all get back together eventually you know yeah cool i think that helps yeah i'll just leave out more notes because i'm playing by myself (laughs) and i gotta keep them going okay
quite well for everyone yeah. trying that out at home. <laughs> what a treat. So good. Oh, need to like have a cool down for a second. I'm usually not used to being the the whole the whole band there. <laughs> yeah, it's a little tricky. I have so many other square dance questions, but we have like other ground we want to cover because you um, do so many different things. <laughs> And we're going to somehow cover all of those things. <laughs> we we're are. Gonna, we're going to sacrifice some of the maybe like background of, you know, or like diving in deep, but uh, we will do our best. And then I'll just have to have you on again to like <laughs> do more of those things at some point. Um, well, where, where do you want to go next? Do you want to go into cranky land or do you want to go into unaccompanied ballad land or... Um, Maybe we could end with the honky-tonk-ish one. Uh, sure. Because I would love to, like, respond to the cranky. Like, you know, I don't want to end on that because I want to talk about the art and stuff. Yeah, I let's... seen it yet. Let's, let's do the cranky. Okay. Uh, tell, me, tell me about cranky making. For people who aren't familiar with crankies, mm-hmm. not that many people make them. It's, like, a little bit rare to see one. It's a niche art form, I would say. Yeah. Within a a niche. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So, I went to school at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Minneapolis, as many people probably know, is a big puppet town. So I, I didn't, didn't know that. <laughs> well, now you do. A uh, lot, of, lot of puppet makers, a lot of people who lived out at, like, Bread and Pop Puppet in Vermont who, like, moved back to Minneapolis in the 70s. And, you know, there are a bunch of big puppet events throughout the year. And mm. I took a puppetry course with Michael Summers, who's sort of a puppeteer visionary mm. there. Um, and that is where I did my first cranky in that course. Um, and it was sort of like a scrolling show with a puppet in front of the... Um, of the, it was in a little suitcase, was a little suitcase show. And then I didn't do one again until I was living in Portland and a friend of mine had heard about them and wanted to make one. And we each made one. We like created our own little cranky boxes and made these crankies and, um, you know, just did a little private viewing on her aunt's houseboat. (laughs) It was just this small little living room show, you know, um, and I still, kind of miraculously, actually, still have that original cranky box that yeah. I built maybe ten years ago. Um, a few years ago, my partner Chris and I, we our house burned down and we lost like everything that oh we owned. God. But I had just done a cranky show in Seattle, and my friend Alex McLeod had my cranky box and two of my crankies. So it's just sort of like the only thing. <laughs> that I have (laughs) from before that time are two of my crankies, which is pretty amazing because they are a very time intensive. The the crankies that I make are all paper cut. So it's a scrolling shadow show in essence. And I've built a little box out of an old drawer and I have, you know, some dowels and there's a little crank for the listening audience. (laughs) Uh, We're going to make a video of this too. So I'll I'll post this. Yeah. Great. And, uh, you know, so you quite literally crank the crank and the, the, the paper turns and the story goes, you know, scrolling by. Uh, the ones that I do are all shadow shows, but you know, you don't, not all of them are shadow shows. Some of them are, um, you know, ink or colored or, you know, I know that, um, 
Anna and Elizabeth were, did a bunch of quilted ones. Mm-hmm. That, and I think that a lot of people uh, were familiarized with crankies by, you know, they brought their crankies on tour a lot. And um, I think a lot of people were introduced to crankies through them. So yeah. that's great. They're sort of uh, cranky evangelicals. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard the good news yeah. about crankies? <laughs> Have you? <laughs> And, um, where yeah. will you spend cranky eternity? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they used to be a pretty popular form of, uh, entertainment in the country. Um, you know, in the like late 1800s, there were these huge cr- scrolling, you know, cranky shows. They were called panoramas and they would tour the country. And, yeah. um, it's hard to imagine until you see a cranky, what would be so compelling in the idea of something just moving by on a piece of paper or yeah. like a huge canvas in the case of the scrolling panoramas. But there is something in the time before screens and television, especially there is something very magical about a moving picture yeah. and a new image coming, you know, before your eyes as you're listening to the song, the song or story. And, um, yeah, so I kind I kind of fell into it by accident, you know. That my friend Sam just wanted to try him yeah. out, and um, I've been reckoning with the idea that I need to make a new cranky box because my mm. my cranky is very small in the world of crankies. My cranky is just like the most petite thing. It's an intimate cranky. It's an intimate cranky, um, and now that I perform more often in sort of like you know an auditorium or larger theater right. uh, environment, I need a bigger cranky box yeah. so people can actually see it. But my, which is also but, a lot more work, but then you get to keep that work, assuming there's right. no house fires. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, but my, my little cranky box is so sweet that I've been sort of hesitant to build a new one, but yeah. it's not, it's on the horizon mm. making a new one and kind of building some, some bigger crankies, but so tell us, tell us about this cranky. What are we gonna? Uh, what song is it for? Yeah. So this cranky is uh, based on the Olabel Reed tune "Undone in Sorrow." Gonna make me cry, man. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> and yeah, this one is it. It's a pretty literal interpretation. I, I've placed it in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. You know. But otherwise, a pretty literal literal, uh, interpretation of the song. Some of Mm. some of my other ones are a little bit more uh, esoteric. But uh, yeah, this is a it's so it's all done on paper, um, paper cut, and then I've done a little bit of watercolor on some of the flowers and things Mm. in the in the scroll. Can't wait. All right, we have the cranky set up. (laughs) We have the mics moved and the cameras moved, so people can. Uh, after this, go uh, check, uh, get up in the cools, social media or YouTube, um, and uh, and find this video. And uh, we're doing Old Bell Reads, Undone in Sorrow. I'm going to try to hold it together emotionally. <laughs> the song messes me up. Uh, ready when, whenever you are. Okay. Uh, I guess the... This speed? Yeah. Okay, okay, here we go. Oh, 
somewhere else to like get all the money like he should have been there I don't know it's not his fault I'm saying it's like capitalism man yeah it's the worst makes you do crazy things uh I like I mean I appreciate about the song that like he's just like yeah I'm I'm never making a decision like like a, a resources financial decision again cause like <laughs> this is what happens you know let uh, that be a lesson to us all yeah Let's all be downwardly mobile, like the <laughs> tragic protagonist of Undone and Sorrow. Oh, uh, what a gorgeous cranky. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, I just, the form is so interesting because unlike 
the uh, moving pictures of, you know, like a film, uh, <laughs> each, each moment in the cranky is its own frame, mm-hmm. but all of the frames uh, intersect. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's sort of like there are like infinite frames in it. There's no frame rate. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know anything else like that. Yeah, I mean, it's and there are some pretty fun ways that you can play with that. You know, I remember watching one of Anna and Elizabeth's um, crankies, and they had this really just magical moment in one of their crankies where I think it was like smoke from a chimney was like on the top of the frame, and then in the next frame it was like, you know, turned into steam from a pie or something, something similar to that, where it was just, cool. you know, you, you really have this interesting way of that continuation from frame to frame, you know, there aren't these like, you know, black lines in between each one as, you know, if you like, we're just showing a bunch of slides or something like that. So you, there are some sort of some fun things that you can play with like that, that are pretty neat. And it has all of the pleasure and like elegance of a, you know, in the, like, it's kind of like rare in a, in a film to have a long one you know, like a one shot where there's mm-hmm. no cuts. <laughs> and it's like, that's what this is. You know, it's, uh, it just feels so choreographed and like timed. Mm. So I'm curious, um, when we just played this, how, how do you decide this, the speed at which you crank, mm-hmm. um, like, are there are there moments where you specifically slow down on purpose, uh, or is the idea for this one to kind of crank at a steady speed the entire time? Ideally, you're cranking at a steady speed the entire time. Um, in a darkened hall, it's a little more difficult because everything is dark, so I can't see the front of the screen at all yeah. because I'm standing behind it. Mm. So there are a few markers where I, I can see the rolled up scroll behind the cranky box yeah. because my light is shining back there. So there are definitely some moments where I know that if I've, I see that little bit on the scroll, I better slow down a little bit or speed up because it's yeah. not quite time or beyond time for that. Back. But not actual, not actual cue marks, but yeah, but I, if I see the screen, I can kind of, uh, adjust, but typically the rate of the scrolling is sort of in time to the tune. So in an ideal world, I, I can just, you know, crank at a steady rate yeah. and end at the right place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just seems like such a, such a magic trick to like, uh, to, to put so much work into something and to, to have an idea of how it will, how this, how the screen will time out with music and, and the speed. And also do you have to like, I'm sure there's a certain speed at which it would be like, maybe not good for the screen. If like you went too fast mm-hmm. or something. Well, especially with this tiny little cranky box, if I went too fast, I think, you know, you'd also just, you wouldn't really get to see much of the sure. images, you know, or appreciate them much. So, right. but that's the interesting thing too, about when you're, you know, when I'm crying, I'm not doing any like measuring when I'm making the scroll. Um, I'm 
I'm just sort of thinking like, okay, I'm going to have this scene and that'll be during the verse. And then I'll have this other scene that will be during the music break. But I'm not getting out my tape measure and saying like, each one is 12 inches long or something. You know, it's just sort of, it's my process is a little bit more organic than that. So um, I think I just, you, it's muscle memory also. You just kind of learn from the first several times you, you crank it to music how fast you need to go or, you know, if, if there's a spot where you always speed up and so then you always have to slow down or, you yeah. know, they're different. You figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you have another, you have, you have an unaccompanied ballad that you wanted to share with us as well. Yeah. Um, well, I thought I'd sing the other, one of the other tunes that I've turned into a cranky, um, but it's pretty long. Um, I thought maybe I'd do a little bit of an abbreviated okay. version of that. And that's uh, Who Killed Cock Robin. And okay. the version that I sing is from a Library of Congress recording of this woman, Edith Harmon, in eastern Kentucky. Um, and, yeah, it's terrible recording. She had some great, uh, a lot of pretty, like, funny tunes that they recorded. Uh, very poor quality <laughs> recordings a lot of skipping on the it, record and is stuff, she the one but... who does the one about the like uh the man with uh who is coming home uh and his vision's kind of bad and uh there's like someone else's horse in his barn and then Ooh, like oh he's that man's have, head yeah, in my bed she may it's have recorded that yeah <laughs> i think i think you might be right and she also recorded one called the irishman the irishman but it's like she says it, Irishman. It's Irishman. really hard to hear what she's saying. I've always wanted to like learn that tune, but I would have to like use the amazing slowdowner to just mm. like understand what because it's so, it's fast. She sings it fast. Yeah, <laughs> got to figure out what's what she's saying. But um, yeah. Well, let me move these mics around in, in a way that makes sense here. Okay. This is Who Killed Cock Robin? Who? Cock Robin Me said the sparrow with my little bow and arrow and I Cock Robin Who saw him die Me said the fly with my teeny little lie and I saw him die Who his blood me said the fish with my little silver dish and I caught his blood who made the coffin me said the snipe with my little pocket knife and I made the coffin who the shroud me said the beetle with my little sewing needle and I sewed the shroud who dug the grave me said the hawk with my old long claw and I dug the grave who carry him there me said the pull because I can pull and I carry him there 
parson. Me said the rook with my little holy book, and I'll be the parson who lower him down. Me said the crane with my little golden chain, and I'll lower him down. Who pat his grave? Me said the dove with my old flat foot, and I'll dig his grave. Who carried the torch? Me said the linnet, I will fetch it in a minute, and I'll carry the torch. Who? Me said the lark if it's not after dark And I'll read the preachment Who say a psalm Me said the thrush as she sat upon a bush And I'll say a psalm Who weep and mourn me said the red, my grief will never end, and I'll sing a song. What an interesting song. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anything like that before. That's a children's song. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got their jobs. I feel like children's songs are often about, like, oh, yeah, like... Mm-hmm. About like who does what in the family or in the community, you uh-huh. know. <laughs> but like, it's so strange that <laughs> that, this, that the like different jobs and roles that people have like include someone um, murdering someone, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and catching his blood, and catching yeah. his. You gotta do mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I and then also it's just like obviously very, it's very pragmatic. But it's, Mm -hmm. but it's very, but the context is very sad. And then to add to the tonal sort of, uh, miasma is this, uh, you know, every verse has this like, uh, which seems to me cute on purpose, little couplet. (laughs) (laughs) Mises the beetle with my little sewing needle. Yeah. Or the Mises the rook with my little holy holy book. So good. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm pretty fascinated by children's songs from a certain era in this country that, I mean, all over the world, actually, that I feel like there's a certain darkness that we now try to shield children from. Yeah. But I really feel like children are so, like, the I, that the story arc of goodness and evil and yeah. death and birth is so compelling to children. And yeah. so many kids... They will play, you know, like I remember playing funeral as a kid, you know, for some bird that died and like having the ceremony. I mean, I feel like that is such a rite of passage of just, you know, the just kids have their own way of grappling with death. And I think that there used to be more of a recognition in that in popular culture that, you know, it was more that subject was more present in a lot of the songs that we sing and you know, a lot of those old nursery rhymes and songs involve death or, you know, the baby falling out of the tree or whatever it is that this sort of dealt with the more dark 
subject matter, but at the same time, it's a children's song. So there, you know, you've got those sweet little right <laughs> phrases is it in to there. Soften the blow, or like, <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, that you've got me thinking about my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Just Did like, you play funeral? No, I really didn't. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think that I. I think I, I think that I was very un, unprepared to, to start thinking about <laughs> death. And I don't think I really started doing it until like, I don't know, maybe I was 27, I think is when I stopped going to church. Mm. And I think the, the expression of like, uh, like spirituality and religion that I was raised with personally, I can't speak for everyone, but it was a, it was a very conflict and death and suffering avoidant mm-hmm. kind of expression of spirituality. Sure. Uh, and I think that's a lot of people's experience. And I feel like just there was a time in this country where death was more present in everyone's lives. Right. Where, you know, before the advent of modern, modern medicine, but just living on a farm, which more people did, right. you know, there's life and death around you all the time. And so, you, you know, it makes sense that we have these songs that are a relic from that time to help children grapple with that you know that babies didn't live all of the time and things were dying in the farmyard on purpose for food and you know that just it was sort of more present in our lives than it than than it is today for sure wow um yeah that took me all sorts of places (laughs) what a perfect (laughs) what a perfect song for this for this podcast and me where I'm at right now as I'm raising kids yeah. and uh, and processing my own uh, uh, childhood. Wow, cool. Well, we have time for one more. Typically, before the last one is where my guests, if they have anything that they want to like sell or promote or direct people <laughs> towards, um, yeah. Do you have anything like that that you? When, when square dancing is happening more, how do people get a hold of you if they want you to come call? That kind of thing. Oh, well, um, I have a website, KelseyNelson.com. Perfect. All using the Nelson. And I think I might have some calling things on there. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to sell. If people want to, like throw money somewhere the jefferson county anti-racist fund is a great place to do that great i will (laughs) i will link that as well that's my county yeah so um so there's i'll I'll link that and also your website if if people want to reach out to you to have you to bring you out to a dance or something Super. yeah Yeah. um i'm sure all of the the local places uh you know probably already know who you are (laughs) you know but like if um on the off chance that someone knew <laughs> in a reasonable distance you know, like <laughs> right. is listening to this or is trying to start up a new dance or something yeah. in their, in their community, then yeah, maybe they could reach out to you. Oh, I'm always happy to talk about yeah. uh, starting dances and the ways to, you know, go about that. Mm. And not that the way that I went about it is the one true way, but I had a successful dance when I was living on Lopez Island monthly yeah. dance and, Happy to chat with people about cool. it for sure. 
Thanks again so much for uh, doing this and hosting us and feeding us amazing food. Uh, you all made eclairs. <laughs> we did. Eclairs we last did. night. I don't know if I've ever had an eclair. <laughs> and now I've had one. And There's no going back. There's no going back. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, a little uh, celebration, our daughter's seven-month birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday. Well, what should we do for our last... Our last song. Well, I was thinking about playing this uh, Adam Bear tune. It's a Cajun tune called Oof La Porte. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else to say about it? Is, uh, it all, is it in French? It's in French. Okay. It's in Cajun French. Is there any, is it, is it worth uh, translating before we play it? Um, it? Well, it's like open the door. It's, it's about, you know, uh, a guy finding out that his gal's been running around with his cousin. And oh, wow. he's like, and it lists all the places they've been running around to. <laughs> and uh, they've been busy. Cool. Love <laughs> it. Classic Cajun, yeah. you know, the uh, protagonist lament, basically, is the, <laughs> is the form for most Cajun Are there a lot of, like, Whoa, uh, me. <laughs> songs in, like, in Cajun music? Like... Yeah. I would say there are just a lot of general, oh, woe is me, this terrible thing has happened yeah. to me, and... You know, yeah, your your partner, <laughs> your partner, like running around on you is one of those. Is one of the sure <laughs> subjects for sure that seems to happen all the time. Fun, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I like, I'll like it more coming from you. Yeah. All right, great. All right. <laughs>
Visit Kelsey Nelson's website at KelseyNelson.com. That's Kelsey, N-E-L-S-E-N.com to contact her if you want her to come call your dance. And visit jcarf.org to donate to the Jefferson County Anti-Racist Fund. Both of those are linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Especially share this week's video post because it's Kelsey's amazing cranky. You gotta go see it. Help fund this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. You can order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional Clawhammer banjo series or to schedule a lesson with me. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up In The Cool. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up In The Cool.